skill platform for entrepreneurs. Skillfront. www.skillfront.com. Program book. Skillfront Entrepreneur Program. Certified Professional in Design Thinking. CPDT. This audiobook has been generated by using the Mac OS text to speech technology. As Skillfront, we thank Apple for making this technology available for us. Hi everyone. I hope you're having a fantastic day today. Thank you very much for getting the Skillfront Entrepreneur Program, Certified Professional in Design Thinking Audiobook. My name is Yelis Obergefell. We will be producing today the audio version of the renowned Skillfront book, Skillfront Entrepreneur Program, Certified Professional in Design Thinking, written by the team of the Skillfront. As we know, audiobooks are wonderful tools in terms of getting knowledge of the world with ease. You can feel free to listen to this audiobook while you are sitting and relaxing on your couch with your cup of coffee or tea, while you are driving, while you are commuting, while you are walking, while you are training, or even while you are working without any interruption in your usual routine. And yet, I want to encourage you to get a hand at the ebook version of Skillfront Entrepreneur Program, Certified Professional in Design Thinking as well. I believe the content presented in this audiobook will make more sense. And it will become more helpful to you if you review and digest the figures, images, graphs, and charts, which you can only see in the ebook version of this audiobook. Are you now ready to get started? Yes. If so, then let's get started. Dedication to all of the Skillfront entrepreneurs. Thank you for inspiring us, keeping us focused, and making sure we do our best to guide you to execute ideas, grow businesses, and dominate your markets online and offline. We are proud of seeing you while you serve your clients at your highest levels possible and positively influence their lives that wouldn't happen otherwise. Without you, your engagement, and your loyal support, Skillfront could not come where it is today. Welcome to the Skillfront. As to methods, there may be million and then some, but skills are few. The one who grasps skills can successfully select his or her own methods. The one who tries methods, ignoring skills, is sure to have trouble. Ralph Waldo Emerson Essayist and poet, New Year's Eve 2010. As the rest of the world went about celebrating the dawn of a new year heading into 2011, I lay in my bed, next to my baby, who was born less than four short months ago. My husband sat next to me, and I can still remember the sound of fireworks set off in the neighborhood. I could see the colors of fireworks, reflecting off my husband's face. He turned and looked at me, while tears were pouring down my cheeks, and he said, you didn't sign up for this, we're going to fix it. I lay down and put my hands back behind my head, closing my eyes, I felt every aspect of my being filled with rage. My mind raced back to the winter, nearly 12 months before, to me getting promoted to a leadership position at one of Switzerland's largest local banks. As the manager of the busiest branch in the middle of the city of Zurich, I was leading 30 to 40 employees, contractors, and agency staff. To this day, I can't help but marvel at the thousands of working hours, the millions of Swiss francs, and the enormously complex processes necessary to make a simple financial investment product shown in our portfolio of products. And yet, there I was lying, heading into 2011, with a termination letter in my hand. It turned out that my employer didn't want to occupy their demanding positions with mothers of newborn babies. They couldn't wait any longer and quickly sent me my notification at the end of my 12 weeks of officially deserved maternity leave. At this moment, you may be wondering why I didn't go back to my corporate career, although I could have reasonably quickly find another job, given my qualifications and job experiences. 
Even if I had this big obstacle of having a few months old baby, let me tell you this. The shock of getting fired helped me admit three very important things that I haven't been entirely honest to myself before. 1. Large companies move slowly. Good ideas often died on the vine simply because they had to be approved by too many people. 2. Climbing the corporate ladder is an obstacle to doing great work. I wanted to focus on getting things done and making things better, not constantly positioning myself for promotion. Politics and turf wars are an inescapable part of the daily experience of working for a large company. 3. Frustration leads to burnout. I wanted to enjoy my daily work experience, but instead, I felt like I was running a gauntlet each day. It began to affect my health during my pregnancy, happiness, and relationships with my husband, friends, and family. The longer I thought of these facts, the more I realized I wanted out. I desperately wanted to work on my own terms. As an entrepreneur, the next 10 years took me on a journey, trying to bring up my baby, become a good wife, and transform myself into the practical scientist to unlocking measurable results in every area of my life every day. A scientist I call the skill front entrepreneur. My name is Yella Zobergefell. I am a married woman. I am a mother. I am a businesswoman. And most important, I am a skill front entrepreneur. I train entrepreneurs at all levels from want-to-be entrepreneurs to owners of large enterprises, to execute ideas, grow businesses, and dominate their markets online and offline. I wasn't trying to become an expert. In fact, I wasn't even sure what being an expert meant. I was, and I am still trying to be a student of my own passion, helping and serving other entrepreneurs succeed in business. I wanted to set myself free after getting laid off. I had no clue that what would start with a decision to change my life would transform into a global movement thanks to the principles, frameworks, and support of Skillfront, the skill platform for entrepreneurs. I started the idea of Skillfront in 2011 with zero knowledge of marketing, sales, persuasion, closing, e-commerce, or automated digital marketing systems. On top of that, I had never delivered a service that was 100% created by me and I had spent most of my career selling other services. From 2011 to 2014, I struggled to get the message I felt in my heart and soul out to the world. Although we were having some mild success, I was paralyzed trying to figure out not only the psychology of being a female leader with my message, but also the science and technology to sustain and scale my business. I have always been an avid learner, but before I decided to learn everything I could about how I can succeed as an entrepreneur, most of what I read was fiction. If there is one thing I am good at it, it is taking in a huge amount of information and distilling it into essentials. I am a synthesist by nature, and my travels through the business literature quickly became an exercise in separating the diamonds from the rough. The more I learned, the more helpless I felt. For every great resource I found, I had to process 10 other resources to figure out how to apply that resource in practice to excel on my own entrepreneurship journey. I started to wonder, how much of what's out there, and there is a lot out there, I really needed to know, how could I separate practical business and entrepreneurship skills from the dry theory and technobable. I only had so much time and energy, so I started searching for a filter, something that would direct me to the useful skills and keep me away from the chaff. The more I searched, the more I realized it didn't exist, so I decided to create the skill front. As of this moment, 143,487 Skillfront entrepreneurs are actively using the Skillfront platform to quickly get their ideas, products, and services out to the world. I don't share that with you to impress you. To some of you hearing this, 
that is a big thing, and to others, it's nothing. I share it to demonstrate what is possible when you learn, lift, and leverage the practical science and art of being an entrepreneur while combining those skills with lessons you are going to earn in real practice. So take a deep breath. It's time for you to unlock the blueprint of success as an entrepreneur and get to work. Welcome to the skill front. Yelis Obergefell, skill front, co-founder, vice president, entrepreneur experience. Become a bit better than you, every day. Before you can be great, you must be good. Before you can be good, you must be bad. Before you can be bad, you must try. Jim Edwards, copywriter and internet marketer. The key to success, model the best. During one of the seminars I attended more than a decade ago in Nashville, Tennessee, I had one of the most significant aha moments in my personal and entrepreneurial growth journey, which impacted my business more than everything else I learned until today that was the discovery of thoughtful modeling to build my own skills and career. Children use modeling all the time to learn how to speak, use tools, or tie their shoes. If you look at it carefully, modeling is not only essential to build new skills, but also it's necessary for the continuity of skills, lessons, know-how, and the world's intellectual and cultural legacy from one generation to another. One caveat here, I have seen and met many people who mix modeling with copying someone else's materials, patents, works, ideas as there, and use them for their own goals. Don't do this. That is illegal and unethical. What I mean with thoughtful modeling is, 1. Look for a business that is already successful in your chosen field or a leader who has created the kind of life you want to live. 2. As Tony Robbins rightly put out there, success leaves clues. Find them. There's no need to reinvent the wheel. Those who have succeeded before you have done so, followed a plan, and you can do the same thing. Look into their history and their eyes to the top. How did they get to where they are today? What kind of obstacles and setbacks did they face, and how did they overcome them? What are their philosophies about their work and their life? 3. Use this information to build the path of your success that mirrors theirs. Your strategy may be similar to the business or leader you're modeling, or you adjust it for your present circumstances. So, I started looking at other businesses, studying how they came to where they're today. After all, their techniques worked for them, they could work for me, but for some reason, my efforts made very little, if any, success and income. I was frustrated because I could see others making money successfully. What was I doing wrong? It took me almost four years of studying, researching, and interviewing successful business people before I realized that what I was seeing on the surface wasn't their full arsenal of skills and strategies. The entrepreneurs who were making decent money were doing it through steps and processes invisible to the naked eye while I had learned and modeled the part of their businesses that I could see. Multiple things were happening behind the scenes that made the magic work. I found that the difference between a $10,000 and $1 million business was all the things happening after a buyer initially contacted those businesses. It took me years to discover and master these hidden skills below the surface of the iceberg, but when I did it, the results spoke for themselves. I wanted to launch Skillfront because I know there are entrepreneurs like me who have been trying to be successful, yet are not having much success. This and other skill front programs are the culmination of a decade spent analyzing thousands of companies and their success models. I have built a number of successful companies of my own, and I have worked with tens of thousands of students and clients to guide them to build businesses in every industry you can dream of, both online and offline.
This and other programs in the Skillfront platform will unlock the practical skills and frameworks that are mastered and continuously used by champion businesses and leaders in their industries. I hope that while you're learning those skills, you will realize your dreams of success are a lot closer than you think. You will soon see that by providing a ton of value, communicating effectively with your audience, and building out your sales processes and flows in a very strategic way, you can get your product, service, and message out to the world, and you can get paid what you're worth while doing it. All skills you're going to learn are evergreen. If you've tried to learn how to build and grow your company in the past, you've probably purchased books and courses that teach systems that worked when they were created but became outdated, often, before they even reached a wider audience and found their way to you. Skillfront programs, on the other hand, are playbooks for creating and scaling successful businesses that will exponentially increase your sales and income. Skillfront teaches evergreen skills, frameworks, and strategies that will be just as useful 20 years from now as they are today. It's the mission of the Skillfront to focus on principles and methods that are timelines, even if technologies and tools change. We don't just teach this stuff, we actually do it. There are many people teaching business and entrepreneurship from one or another angle and the vast majority of them are making money by teaching other people's business strategies. Russell Brunson calls those people shovel sellers because during the gold rush, the people who made the most money were the ones selling the shovels. Today's modern shovel sellers are selling you those strategies without actually using any of the techniques themselves. The difference between Skillfront and most others is that we actually do this for real. That's right. The skills we are going to reveal to you have been learned and then verified by our own real-world practices or we have earned them after thousands of tests, sleepless nights, mistakes, trials, errors, successes, as well as failures. We have tried these skills in countless different industries, from law practices to multinational e-commerce giants, from coaching services to software as a service providers, from physical product retailers online and offline to real estate brokers, from healthcare, fitness, wellness and leisure providers to sport clubs and educational institutions, and everything else you ever imagine in between. We also directly work with hundreds of other businesses, advising them and increasing their profitability in almost every niche and industry you can dream of. I am excited for you to dive in and have some fun with this. So, let's get started. Skill 1. Four core principles of the design thinking, importance of establishing goals. In 1953, researchers surveyed Yale's graduating seniors to determine how many of them had specific, written goals for their future. The answer, 3%. 20 years later, researchers polled the surviving members of the class of 1953, and found that the 3% with goals had accumulated more personal financial wealth than the other 97% of the class combined. The moral of this story is, goals work. Almost nobody uses them. I assume that you already want more from life than what you have and you're searching for a way to get it. That's exactly what you'll find here, a way to get it. Whatever your background, whatever your age, whatever your circumstances, this course shows you step by step how to invest the time and effort necessary to get whatever you want from life and business, but you have to make that effort and invest that time, so don't just complete this course, simply completing this course won't help you, follow a simple step by step plan, take action, apply powerful techniques, and I promise that all your wishes will come true, skill 2, for core principles of the design thinking, Set your goals for success. How to choose a goal? Do you have problems choosing a goal? Do you have too many? Or don't you have any goals at all? Then this chapter is for you. We all want better life. 
We all have wishes. Wishes are goals, but goals with snap, crackle, and pop. Goals provide the process that can take you where you want to go, but too often they don't provide the inspiration to get you there. Wishes are different. They have impact, like being struck by lightning instead of by a lightning bug. They let you dream. They let you soar. They let you tap into a source of limitless possibility and boundless energy that gives you the power to accomplish what you might otherwise never have imagined. If you want to make things happen in your life, don't think about goals, think about making your wishes come true. Before you can make your wishes come true, you must first decide what to wish for. Many people grind through one work week after another, daydreaming about the good life, but they rarely master a clear idea of what that good life should be. Not what you're supposed to want, not what someone else wants for you, but what you and your heart want for yourself. Are you willing to pay the price? At a cocktail party one evening, a famous pianist gave a recital. Afterward, her hostess said, I would give anything to be able to play like you. The pianist looked at her thoughtfully for a moment and replied, No you may not. The hostess, surprised and embarrassed in front of her guests, said, I most certainly would. The pianist shook her head. You would love to play as I play now, but you may not be willing to practice 8 hours a day for 20 years to learn how to play that way. Take whatever you want, said God, but pay for it, Spanish proverb. Every wish has its price. You can have anything you want if you are willing to pay that price. The price may be time, money, or efforts. It may be in what you have to give up in order to get what you want. Your willingness to pay the price is what gives you the power to cause your wish to come true. If you are 100% willing to pay the price, then you are 100% likely to succeed. Pay the price and your wish will come true. Skill 3. Four core principles of the design thinking, how you achieve your goals. Step 1. Intensify desire. Desire is the first step of goal achievement and the foundation. Have you set personal or business goals and failed to achieve them? Here is a crucial question. Why? The answer is simple, because we did not have a strong enough desire. Some may argue with that, but I did have a strong desire and still I didn't get there. Sorry, but the desire was still not strong enough. How do you identify intense desire? Passion. It's what keeps people working all hours, up early, late to bed. The desire dominates conversation, thinking, actions. Take a moment to think about the goals you've set for yourself. How committed are you to achieving these goals? Under what conditions would you give up? What if you could significantly increase your desire to achieve these goals? What if you wanted them so badly that you knew with absolute certainty that you would absolutely, positively never ever give up? When you are truly 100% committed to reaching your goals, you move from hoping to knowing. If you want something badly enough, then quitting is simply not an option. You either find a way or make one. You pay the price, whatever it takes. By creating intense desire you can realize the impossible dream. Develop a sincere desire to achieve the goal. A wish or daydream has no substance, it is vague, unformed, and unsupported by action. Desire puts action into your plan. Strong desire is success power. Step 2. Develop belief. If you don't believe you can reach a goal, it will remain a pipe dream as much as if you didn't bother planning the route to the goal, or do what's required to get there. If there is any doubt in your mind that you may not be able to achieve something, you don't give it your all. In fact, you may very well just set it aside. In order to fully achieve anything, you must believe it is possible at a cellular level. Believing is seeing. Seeing is believing. If you are willing to accept that you can be successful, that you'll enjoy being successful, and if you are willing to establish and work on an exhilarating, enjoyable, and rewarding path to your goals, 
then we're confident you'll reach those goals. Step 3, define your objective. In May of 1961, John F. Kennedy pledged that America would land a man on the moon before the decade is out. It was a brave and bold objective, perhaps one of the greatest of all time. Just making the statement, however, did not lead to its achievement. Putting a man on the moon required immense amounts of intelligence, research, planning, money, people, risk, and commitment, amongst other things. The most important step, though, was not Neil Armstrong's, it was John F. Kennedy's setting of the objective. We define the objective as the final goal, it is what all your efforts are going to lead to. In investing, for example, it could be to have $5 million by retirement. While some people may want to only have an objective in one area of their life, most successful people set objectives in many areas. Career family financial health knowledge material retirement spiritual these are just some categories you should set objectives in. Objectives are generally long term, sometimes even lifetime, although they don't have to be. They do have to be important to you, and something you feel is worth pursuing or establishing a goal-setting routine wouldn't be worth doing. In starting a goal-setting routine, we recommend you set objectives in one or two areas to begin. As you start realizing small successes, you'll probably add more objectives as you will want to be successful in all areas of your life. Remember, don't hold back. Make your objectives as large as you can realistically realize. Make sure that your goals are SMART. Commit to making SMART goals and start working toward them today. Step 4. Write it down. Write your goal out in complete detail. Why is it so important to write it down? Words are an integral part of the thinking process. Words convey images, pictures, feelings, emotions to the mind. By clothing it in words that abstract thought now takes on body, shape, form, substance. It is no longer just a thought. It becomes something, which motivates us, or creates our gut feeling inside. Why is the mechanical act of writing so important? Building on what we have already stated, putting pen to paper now transfers those expressions, which embody thoughts onto something tangible. We can now physically look at it. Even the act of using the eye in coordination with the hand holding the pen makes a much firmer impression on our mind as we write out the phrase or expression. Now when we read and reread that phrase or sentence the impression on the mind becomes deeper and deeper. Written goals are directives to the unconscious mind, which obeys them blindly. There is something semi-magical about writing one's goals down which makes achieving well-written goals an almost must certainty. The real trick is to write one's goals down in a special way which helps guarantee their achievement. Write it down. Step 5. Set a deadline. Set a date for the achievement of your goal. Setting a date for the attainment of your goal is the ignition for the goal-seeking missile in your mind. Make sure that your date is realistic, not too soon that it's impossible, but not so delayed that it's not interesting. Make sure you write the date of your goal down next to your goal. Once you've set this date, you should never change it. Can we see then why deadlining is another crucial step in the goal achievement process? Yes, deadlines crystallize thinking and increase motivation. However, it would be a mistake to think deadlines perform miracles. Setting a deadline by saying, in seven days from now I will have made an extra $5,000 is not going to miraculously deliver unless you have a strategy and a realistic plan based on your present circumstances. Set a deadline. Deadlines move us to action. When we fail to include a deadline for our goal, when we commit to achieving it as soon as possible, the goal winds up in our as soon as possible pile of things I will do another day, which is probably never. Why? Because we all too much to do and not enough time to get it all done. 
the items that have deadlines for completion tend to bubble up in priority and importance so that we take action and achieve them. The journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. No goal achievement is a leap across some huge canyon. Many are intimidated and driven away from going after what they really want in their lives for fear they will have to take a giant leap across that canyon and, they, what if I don't leap far enough, disaster. But until you write out your goal, quantify it, and set a deadline so that you break it down to its small steps, it will forever appear to be too big a stretch and therefore unattainable. But every time you follow these three steps and break the goal down, you will always find that you have within your control what it takes to accomplish that next step. And once you begin, you are on your way. Step 6, Defining Your Reasons. Instead in goal setting, and the keys to success, it was discovered that many people fail to achieve success simply because they lack clear reasons for doing so. Don't let this hold up your success. Give serious thought as to why you want to achieve an objective, and write down what you've decided. Do you want $5 million at retirement? Why? You say you want to live in a mansion? Why? The more compelling your reasons are, the greater your chances will be for meeting your objectives. Conversely, if you can't come up with good reasons, you might as well set another objective, as this one won't be achieved. Remember, every person has different reasons for wanting something. What one person thinks is vain or stupid, another will think is worthy or great. You must come up with reasons that are honest, strong, and motivating to you. Write them down below the appropriate objective, leaving plenty of space to expand or add to them. The more reasons you have the better. Just make sure they really represent the reasons you have for desiring something. Step 7, Defining Your Subgoals. Once you've written an objective, and your compelling reasons for achieving it, you must start planning the route towards the objective. Ask yourself, what steps do I need to take to? These steps will be your subgoals. Say you've set an objective for having $5 million by retirement, which could be 20 plus years away. First, you must figure out how you can achieve that. Do you need to learn more about investing? Will you have to start saving $500 a week? Do you have to get a new job? Will you have to more actively watch your existing investments? Whatever needs doing, to progress towards your objective, will become your subgoals. Subgoals can be specific or broad in scope, but they must always lead directly towards the objective they support. They must also always have a deadline, a date you plan to accomplish the subgoal by, a realistic date that not only motivates you into action but also ensures progress towards your objective. Usually you will have many sub-goals at a time, and in the case of a real long-term objective, some of the sub-goals will not be clear at the start, with others coming about when certain existing sub-goals are achieved. Always write your sub-goals on their accomplishment dates down. Never make your sub-goals too long or too difficult, as you don't want to be overwhelmed by them. If a sub-goal is long-term, as in taking a four-year degree towards a larger career objective, break it down into smaller parts each year for example, and revise and or renew them when accomplished. By making sufficient and reasonable sub-goals, and always accomplishing them on time, you'll find yourself making great progress towards objectives, which may look intimidating, or even impossible, by themselves. Step 8, Defining Your Tasks. Just as we break large or long-term objectives down into smaller supporting elements called sub-goals, we further break our sub-goals down into even smaller elements. These small elements are called tasks, and accomplishing them is what makes the practice of goal setting really work. Tasks are usually the simple things you must do to accomplish a subgoal. If you've set a subgoal, for example, to have a complete understanding about investing in bonds by next the 15th of June, 
you will have to accomplish a number of tasks for acquiring that knowledge. Choosing to go to the library and get a book on bonds would be a task. Reading the book for one hour each this Monday, Wednesday, and Friday could be three separate tasks. Visiting your website for its information would be another task. Calling your buddy who's had success in a specific market would be a task as well. All of these tasks, which should be written down on the same paper as the sub-goal they support, must be set with an accomplishment date, for if you procrastinate calling your buddy, never get around to completely reading the book, or don't even bother checking the website, you won't reach your sub-goal of learning about bonds, or won't meet it by its accomplishment date, and this, unfortunately for you, will turn your $5 million by retirement objective back into the pipe dream it didn't have to be. By focusing your mind on the easy-to-accomplish tasks, and completing those tasks, you'll be making great progress towards your sub-goals and objectives without feeling overwhelmed. Make sure to write down all tasks, even those that take only minutes to complete. Then, when they're accomplished, check them off. As more and more tasks are successfully accomplished and checked off, you'll find yourself becoming more encouraged and more confident about your abilities. The more you believe, the more you will strive to accomplish, and the more you will enjoy completing even more tasks. And the more tasks you complete on time, the closer you'll be to that success you have real reasons for wanting. The success you originally defined as your objectives. The secret of succeeding with the design thinking. Do you know the most important secret of goal setting? The beginning is the half the journey. Just get started to get things done. Skill 4. 4 Core Principles of the Design Thinking How you keep yourself motivated. Using success enhancements. What are success enhancements? There are really two key elements to achieving success. The first, as we've described, is the practice of goal setting, which is simply, setting objectives, developing compelling reasons for wanting the objectives, breaking the objectives down into not-so-overwhelming sub-goals, breaking the sub-goals down into easy-to-accomplish tasks. The second key element involves training your mind to think positively. In order to accomplish what you set out to do, you must develop an achievement mindset. While reviewing your reasons, and checking off completed tasks are two things you should be doing to keep your mind focused on the success you desire, there are other success enhancements we recommend you become familiar with. Reward Technique When you are able to keep your mind on success, you'll be virtually certain to reach that success. Visualization Technique The brain often thinks in pictures. The human eye captures an incredible amount of information with just one glance and relays it all to the brain that then translates that information into a form we see. It would be more accurate to say we see with our brains than with our eyes. The success technique to which I am referring is visualization. I guarantee that visualizing your results is the key to realizing your results. Visualizing is one of the most important techniques you will ever learn and one that is utilized by all high performers. One of the reasons goal setting doesn't work for people is because they don't understand or utilize the power of this one critical factor. Oftentimes, you may set a goal, write it down, you may even read it aloud every day, but if you can't see yourself in possession of your goal, you will never realize it long term. Visualizing is your key to success for two reasons. Your mind thinks in pictures and images, your subconscious mind drives your behavior, when something is hammered into your mind in clear detail. It becomes part of your reality. Your subconscious mind doesn't know the difference between something that is real and something vividly imagined. Whatever picture, goal, you consistently think about will drive your actions to create that exact picture. When you continually see yourself in possession of your goal, 
Your subconscious mind will move you into actions that align with the mental image you hold. Affirmations technique. Affirmations are words we say to ourselves. They're verbal suggestions we say silently or out loud. The truth is that if you tell yourself something often enough, you'll eventually believe it. Affirmations, or self-talk, is a very common activity. Things like this are always happening to me. I just can't lose weight I'm so clumsy. Does it sound familiar? But we can affirm our strengths too. We can even affirm strengths we don't yet have. Develop daily affirmations that support the goals you developed in your goal setting. You need to figure out what you need to change about yourself to make it easier to practice or keep the commitments you made in your goal setting. Skill 5. Design thinking equals analytical thinking. Design thinking is an approach that used for practical and creative problem solving. It not only works for designers but also helps people who aren't trained as designers to use creative tools to deal with challenges they meet in works and lives. We can describe design thinking as a human-centered approach to innovation that draws from the designer's toolkit to integrate the needs of people, the possibilities of technology, and the requirements for business success. My estimation is that design thinking is in the second wave as we can see the rise of human-centered design and design-centered business management. This is not a static idea and it develops all the time. Core ideas and main steps. The most important feature of design thinking is a human-centered core. Design thinking focuses on understanding people's need. A five-phase description of the design innovation process is described as, re, defining the problem, need finding and benchmarking, ideating, building, testing. The Hasso Plattner Institute of Design at Stanford, which is at the forefront of applying and teaching design thinking, gives four principles of design thinking. The human rule, design is inherently, the ambiguity rule, problems are ambiguous and open to interpretation. Removing ambiguity limits, the redesign rule, design thinking posits that all design is redesign. Humans are constantly looking for new ways to solve variations on old. The tangibility rule, the best way to communicate design ideas is through tangible ideas and tangible ideas and products allow improved dialogue, understanding, and problem solving. Based on the above principles, a five-stage model is proposed. Empathize, understanding the needs of those you're designing for. Define, construct a point of view that is based on user needs, and ideate, challenge assumptions and come up with innovative solutions, brainstorming is a useful tool, prototype, build a representation of one or more of your ideas to show to tests, return to your original user group and testing your ideas for implement, fully implement the working solution and keep on innovating, from the picture above, we can see it is not a linear progress because of the non-linear nature of design thinking. It may be thought of as a system of overlapping spaces rather than a sequence of orderly steps, inspiration, ideation, and implementation. Example. One application that we can feel and experience in our daily life is in computer science. Design thinking is central to recent conceptions of software development in general. Most apps that are installed on our smartphones benefit from design thinking a lot. How do those creative apps fit our needs? Take a popular English reciting app in China as an example. According to the design thinking model, designers should recognize students' needs in reciting English words. As it is usually a boring task, designers should find a method that makes it interesting and efficient. Brainstorming then begins, and they also need to build prototypes that embrace these creative ideas. They will invite some users to tests. Designers interpret the information received from tests and see what step they may need to go back to in their design thinking process. In this process, prototypes are combined, 
expanded on, or discarded based on users' insights. All these efforts give birth to a successful and popular app. People love it because it knows what they really want. Reciting English words is no longer horrible. Pros and cons. Pros, significantly reduces time to market, cost savings, improves customer retention and loyalty, fosters innovation, can be applied company-wide. Cons, design thinking is quite different from analytical thinking. Decisions made through design thinking are based on what potential customers really want, not just historical data or evidence. Intuition plays a vital role here. The shortcoming can be oversimplifying the design process and trivializing the role of technical knowledge and skills. Coco, 2018. Skill 6. Design Design Thinking. Design is the action of bringing something new into existence, and it starts with imaging the outcome of what the users expect from us, business, brand, and marketing professionals who create strategy already do this, and they are, in essence, designing. Anyone can think like a designer, but learning to be good at it takes time. Design thinking is the action of transforming processes and evolving organizational design and capabilities, creating teams with multidisciplinary skills, gaining a greater level of insight into customer desires, brand usage, and brand values, coming up with the right process for your business, including customers early and throughout the process, building ideas up, continuously cycling the process to achieve better outcomes, challenging and refining everything based on user evaluations. Skill 7. The formal introduction to the design thinking. Design thinking refers to design-specific cognitive activities that designers apply during the process of designing. Design thinking is a methodology not exclusive for designers, that helps people understand and develop creative ways to solve a specific issue, generally business-oriented. Origins of the term. The notion of design as a way of thinking in the sciences can be traced to Herbert A. Simon's 1969 book The Sciences of the Artificial and in design engineering to Robert McKim's 1973 book Experiences in Visual Thinking, Peter Rowe's 1987 book Design Thinking, which described methods and approaches used by architects and urban planners, was a significant early usage of the term in the design research literature. Rolf Fast expanded on McKim's work at Stanford University in the 1980s and 1990s, teaching design thinking as a method of creative action. Design thinking was adapted for business purposes by Fast Stanford colleague David M. Kelly, who founded IDEA in 1991. Richard Buchanan's 1992 article Wicked Problems in Design Thinking expressed a broader view of design thinking as addressing intractable human concerns through design. Solution-based thinking. Design thinking is a formal method for practical, creative resolution of problems and creation of solutions, with the intent of an improved future result. In this regard it is a form of solution-based, or solution-focused thinking, starting with a goal, a better future situation, instead of solving a specific problem. By considering both present and future conditions and parameters of the problem, alternative solutions may be explored simultaneously. Nigel Cross asserted that this type of thinking most often happens in the built, or artificial, environment as in artifacts. This approach differs from the analytical scientific method which begins by thoroughly defining all parameters of a problem to create a solution. Design thinking identifies and investigates with known and ambiguous aspects of the current situation to discover hidden parameters and open alternative paths that may lead to the goal. Because design thinking is iterative, intermediate solutions are also potential starting points of alternative paths, including redefining of the initial problem. Brian Lawson, 
architects versus scientists. In 1972 psychologist, architect and design researcher Brian Lawson conducted an empirical study to investigate the difference between problem-focused solvers and solution-focused solvers. He took two groups of students, final-year students in architecture and postgraduate science students, and asked them to create one-layer structures from a set of colored blocks. The perimeter of the structure had to optimize either the red or the blue color, however, there were unspecified rules governing the placement and relationship of some of the blocks. Lawson found that, the scientists adopted a technique of trying out a series of designs which used as many different blocks and combinations of blocks as possible as quickly as possible, thus they tried to maximize the information available to them about the allowed combinations. If they could discover the rule governing which combinations of blocks were allowed they could then search for an arrangement which would optimize the required color around the layout, problem focused. By contrast, the architects selected their blocks in order to achieve the appropriately colored perimeter. If this proved not to be an acceptable combination, then the next most favorably colored block combination would be substituted and so on until an acceptable solution was discovered. Solution focused. Nigel Cross concluded that Lawson's studies suggested that scientists' problem solved by analysis, while designers' problem solved by synthesis. Kelly and Brown argue that design thinking uses both analysis and synthesis. Analysis and synthesis. The terms analysis and synthesis come from, classical, Greek and mean literally to loosen up and to put together respectively. In general, analysis is defined as the procedure by which we break down an intellectual or substantial whole into parts or components. Synthesis is defined as the opposite procedure, to combine separate elements or components in order to form a coherent whole. However, analysis and synthesis, as scientific methods, always go hand in hand, they complement one another. Every synthesis is built upon the results of a preceding analysis, and every analysis requires our subsequent synthesis in order to verify and correct its results. Divergent thinking versus convergent thinking. Design thinking employs divergent thinking as a way to ensure that many possible solutions are explored in the first instance, and then convergent thinking as a way to narrow these down to a final solution. Divergent thinking is the ability to offer different, unique or variant ideas adherent to one theme while convergent thinking is the ability to find the correct solution to the given problem. Design thinking encourages divergent thinking to ideate many solutions, possible or impossible and then uses convergent thinking to prefer and realize the best resolution. Differences from science and humanities Although many design fields have been categorized as lying between science and the arts and humanities, design may be seen as its own distinct way of understanding the world. Based on solution-based problem-solving, problem-shaping, synthesis, and appropriateness in the built environment, one of the first design science theorists, John Chris Jones, postulated that design was different than the arts, sciences and mathematics in the 1970s. In response to the question is designing an art, a science or a form of mathematics Jones responded, the main point of difference is that of timing. Both artists and scientists operate on the physical world as it exists in the present, whether it is real or symbolic, while mathematicians operate on abstract relationships that are independent of historical time. Designers, on the other hand, are forever bound to treat as real that which exists only in an imagined future and have to specify ways in which the foreseen thing can be made to exist. Design can be seen as its own culture in education, with its own methods and ways of thinking, which can be systematically taught in both K-12 and higher education. Nigel Cross set out to show the differences between the humanities, the sciences, 
and design in his paper Designly Ways of Knowing, he observed that, the phenomenon of study in each culture is, in the sciences, the natural world in the humanities, human experience in design, the artificial world, the appropriate methods in each culture are, in the sciences, controlled experiment, classification, analysis in the humanities, analogy, metaphor, evaluation in design, modeling, pattern forming, synthesis, the values of each culture are, in the sciences, objectivity, rationality, neutrality, and a concern for truth in the humanities, subjectivity, imagination, commitment, and a concern for justice in design, practicality, ingenuity, empathy, and a concern for appropriateness, the languages of design, conventionally, designers communicate mostly in visual or object languages, symbols, signs, and metaphors are used through the medium of sketching, diagrams and technical drawings to translate abstract requirements into concrete objects. The way designers communicate, then, is through understanding this way of coding design requirements in order to produce built products. Skill 8. Design thinking as a process for problem solving. Unlike analytical thinking, design thinking includes building up ideas, with few, or no, limits on breadth during a brainstorming phase. This helps reduce fear of failure in the participant, s, and encourages input and participation from a wide variety of sources in the ideation phases. The phrase thinking outside the box has been coined to describe one goal of the brainstorming phase and is encouraged, since this can aid in the discovery of hidden elements and ambiguities in the situation and discovering potentially faulty assumptions. One version of the design thinking process has seven stages, define, research, ideate, prototype, choose, implement, and learn. Within these seven steps, problems can be framed, the right questions can be asked, more ideas can be created, and the best answers can be chosen. The steps aren't linear, can occur simultaneously and be repeated. A simpler expression of the process is Robert McKim's phrase express test cycle. An alternative five-phase description of the process is described by Christoph Mean and Larry Leifer, re, defining the problem, need finding and benchmarking, ideating, building, testing. Yet another way to look at it is Schuett's plan to study act PDSA cycle. Although design is always influenced by individual preferences, the design thinking method shares a common set of traits, mainly, creativity, ambidextrous thinking, teamwork, user-centeredness, empathy, curiosity and optimism. These traits are exemplified by design thinking methods in serious play. The path through these process steps is not strictly circular. Minel and life estate, while the stages are simple enough, the adaptive expert is required to choose the right inflection points and appropriate next stages are high-order intellectual activity that requires practice and is learnable. Skill 9. Attributes of Design Thinking Principles Christoph Meinl and Larry Leifer assert that there are four principles to design thinking. The human rule, all design activity is ultimately social in nature. The ambiguity rule, design thinkers must preserve ambiguity. The redesign rule, all designers redesign the tangibility rule, making ideas tangible always facilitates communication. Wicked problems. Design thinking is especially useful when addressing what Horse Riddle referred to as wicked problems, which are ill-defined or tricky, as opposed to wicked in the sense of malicious. With ill-defined problems, both the problem and the solution are unknown at the outset of the problem-solving exercise. This is as opposed to tame or well-defined problems where the problem is clear and the solution is available through some technical knowledge. For wicked problems, the general thrust of the problem may be clear, 
However considerable time and effort is spent in order to clarify the requirements, a large part of the problem-solving activity, then, consists of problem definition and problem shaping. The aha moment. The aha moment is the moment where there is suddenly a clear forward path. It is the point in the cycle where synthesis and divergent thinking, analysis and convergent thinking, and the nature of the problem all come together and an appropriate resolution has been captured. Prior to this point, the process may seem nebulous, hazy and inexact. At this point, the path forward is so obvious that in retrospect it seems odd that it took so long to recognize it. After this point, the focus becomes more and more clear as the final product is constructed. Methods and process. Design methods and design process are often used interchangeably, but there are significant differences between the two. Design methods are techniques, rules, or ways of doing things that someone uses within a design discipline. Methods for design thinking include interviewing, creating user profiles, looking at other existing solutions, creating prototypes, mind mapping, asking questions like the five whys, and situational analysis. Because of design thinking's parallel nature, there are many different paths through the phases. This is part of the reason design thinking may seem to be fuzzy or ambiguous when compared to more analytical, Cartesian methods of science and engineering. Some early design processes stemmed from soft systems methodology in the 1960s. Coburg and Bagnell wrote The All-New Universal Traveler in 1972 and presented a circular, seven-step process to problem-solving. These seven steps could be done linearly or in feedback loops. Stanford's D School developed an updated seven-step process in 2007. Other expressions of design processes have been proposed, including a three-step simplified triangular process, or the six-part, less simplified pyramid, by Brian Lawson. Hugh Doubley's free ebook How Do You Design? A Compendium of Models summarizes a large number of design process models. Design thinking calls for considering the given user case from various perspectives, empathizing with users, and addressing various stakeholders. The use of visual analogy in design thinking and learning. Ill-defined problems often contain higher order and obscure relationships. Design thinking can address these through the use of analogies, an understanding of the expected results, or lack of domain-related knowledge for the task, may be developed by correlating different internal representations, such as images, to develop an understanding of the obscure or ill-defined elements of the situation. The process involves several complex cognitive mechanisms, as the design task often has elements in multiple cognitive domains, visual, mathematical, auditory or tactile, requiring the usage of multiple languages, like visual thinking. Skill 10. Design thinking and education. Design thinking has been suggested for use in schools in a variety of curricular ways, as well as for redesigning student spaces and school systems. Design thinking in education typically takes three forms, helping school administrators solve institution-based problems, aiding educators develop more creative lesson plans, and engendering design thinking skills in students. There are currently many researchers exploring the intersection of design thinking and education. The Red Lab Group, from Stanford University's Graduate School of Education, conducts research into design thinking in K-12, secondary, and post secondary settings the Hasso Plattner Design Thinking Research Program is a collaborative program between Stanford University and the Hasso Plattner Institute from Potsdam, Germany. The Hasso Plattner Design Thinking Research Program's mission is to apply rigorous academic methods to understand how and why design thinking innovation works and fails. SPJIMR, a top B school in India, 
offers a roadmap to build design thinking culture in the organization and has implemented the approach across its different management programs. In addition to enriching curriculum and expanding students' perspectives, design thinking can also benefit educators. Researchers have proposed that design thinking can enable educators to integrate technology into the classroom. Design thinking as a viable curricular and systemic reform program is increasingly being recognized by educators. Much of today's education system guides students toward finding the correct answers to fill in the blanks on standardized tests, as this kind of instruction facilitates streamlined assessments to measure success or failure. It is critical that, particularly in underserved schools this model of learning does not continue to prevail. Students need both the skills and the tools to participate in a society where problems are increasingly complex and nuanced understandings are vital. Uses in K-12 Education In the K-12 arena, design thinking is employed to promote creative thinking, teamwork, and student responsibility for learning. The non-profit tools at schools aims to expose students, educators, and schools to design thinking. The organization does this by facilitating a relationship between a school and a manufacturing company. Over a minimum of six months, representatives from the manufacturing company teach students the principles of design and establish the kind of product to be designed. The students collaborate to design a prototype that the manufacturer produces. Once the prototype arrives, the students must promote the product and support the ideas that led to its design. An example of the tools at schools partnership is the redesign of school equipment by 8th grade students at the school at Columbia University. The students were divided into groups and asked to redesign a locker, chair, or a desk to better suit the needs of 21st century pupils. The students' final products were displayed at the International Contemporary Furniture Fair where they demonstrated their product to fair attendees and industry professionals. Overall tools at schools not only introduces students to the design process, it exposes them to the design profession through their interactions with designers and manufacturers. Since the students work together in groups, design thinking in education also encourages collaborative learning. Another organization that works with integrating design thinking for students is the corporation Notosh. Notosh has a design thinking school to teach instructors how to implement design thinking into their curriculum. One of the design thinking techniques Notosh adopted from the corporate world and applied to education is hexagonal thinking. Hexagonal thinking consists of gathering cutouts in hexagon shapes and writing a concept or fact on each one. Students then connect the hexagons by laying related ideas or facts together. The visual representation of relationships helps students better conceptualize wicked problems. Another concrete example of design thinking in action is Notosh's Googleable versus non-Googleable questions exercise. Given a specific topic, students brainstorm questions on the issue and divide their questions into Googleable and non-Googleable. Students research the Googleable questions and present their findings to the class while the non-Googleable questions are used to create a project. Stanford University's Taking Design Thinking to Schools Initiative Apart from non-profit entities and corporations, research universities are also involved in deploying design thinking curriculum to K-12 schools. Part of Stanford University's efforts to incorporate design thinking in education into a hands-on setting is the Taking Design Thinking to Schools Initiative. The Stanford School of Education and eSchool partner with K-12 teachers in the Palo Alto area to discover ways to apply design thinking in an educational setting. Teachers and students engage in hands-on design challenges that focus on developing empathy, promoting a bias towards action, encouraging ideation, 
developing metacognitive awareness and fostering active problem solving. Taking design thinking to schools identifies the following design thinking process. Understand, students explore the topic through research and develop familiarity with the subject matter observe. This phase consists of students taking note of their environment, which includes physical surroundings and human interactions. Students gather more information about people's actions and possible motivation through discussion point of view. Students consider alternate points of views to better understand the problem and to inform their ideas in the next phase ideate. This phase consists of students brainstorming ideas without criticism or inhibition. In this phase, the focus is on generating lots of ideas with an emphasis on creativity and enjoying the process. Prototype In this phase students create quick prototypes to investigate ideas generated during the ideation phase tests. Students test their ideas in a repetitive fashion and determine which aspects of the design are effective and which could be improved. By employing this process, the Stanford team and taking design thinking to schools participants collaborate to develop coursework that students will find engrossing and hands-on. Thus, the program at Stanford combines both design thinking for teachers who must create alternative curriculum and students who must complete the design thinking-based projects. The K-12 Lab at Stanford the K-12 Lab Network is a part of the Stanford University D School and according to its website its mission is to inspire and develop the creative confidence of educators and support EDU innovators catalyzing new models for teaching and learning. The K-12 Lab Network publishes a wiki with information on creating design challenges for K-12 schools. The wiki provides tools for thinking about design challenges as well as criteria for implementing design challenges. The Design Thinking for Educators Toolkit the Design Thinking for Educators Toolkit was developed in 2011 by the design firm Idea in partnership with the Pret 12 Independent School Riverdale Country School. The Design Thinking for Educators Toolkit that is currently offered to the public for free download is the second version. The Design Thinking for Educators Toolkit is a comprehensive resource for educators to use, which includes a walkthrough of the design thinking process complete with examples and a downloadable workbook. The toolkit has been used in academic research to aid in the creation of an iPad learning ecosystem to help design a program to aid at risk youth in the transition from elementary to secondary school, as well as to redesign libraries. AGA. AGA has implemented a movement, Design Ed K-12, to take designing thinking to schools. This movement is guided by volunteers and there is not a specific program to follow, instead volunteer designers introduce students to the design field and consequently, design thinking. Design Ed K-12 intends to motivate students to use design thinking to solve problems, to create a network where designers, students, and educational professionals share best practices, to shape a recommended approach to teaching design, and to cultivate a passion for design among young people. Across the nation, many of Agus chapters are working with school districts. The programs range in scope, some mentor students who have shown an interest in design, while other programs offer students the opportunity to explore design and participate in design thinking projects within scheduled class or through and after. School activity. Users in higher education. Design thinking is currently being taught in workshops, supplemental training, courses, or degree programs in over 60 universities and colleges. Design thinking is used by colleges as a way to instruct students on the phases of design, and to help develop innovative solutions to existing problems. The D School at Stanford University is a well-known design thinking program in higher education, with students from Stanford's departments of engineering, medicine, business, law, 
and education utilizing the Day School to develop innovative solutions to problems. The University of Kentucky also has formalized instruction on design thinking through its D-Lab. The D-Lab serves a multitude of functions from helping schools resolve their issues with design thinking to conducting empirical experiments on design thinking to collaborating with outside organizations to provide issues that plague their organization. Radford University, located in Radford, Virginia, currently offers a Master of Fine Arts, MFA, degree in design thinking. The MFA degree offered is a completely online degree that emphasizes design thinking, design history, design research, design management, and design doing. The Johns Hopkins University Carey Business School and the Maryland Institute College of Art began offering an MBA MA in design leadership in 2012. Students simultaneously earn a Master of Arts degree in design leadership from an art school as well as an MBA from a research institution. Obstacles to implementing design thinking in schools. The accountability to succeed on high-stakes standardized tests in K-12 environments prevents the implementation of design thinking curriculum. Educators feel that focusing on classic curriculum will better prepare their students to perform well on these exams. Resistance to design thinking also springs from concerns about the appropriateness of applying design thinking to an educational setting. It has been argued that design thinking is best applied by professionals who know a field well. Therefore, K-12 students who are limited by their reduced understanding of both the field and their still developing intellectual capacities may not be best suited to design thinking activities. Another more subtle obstacle to design thinking in schools may come from members of the academic community who believe design thinking should remain in the milieu of avant-garde companies. Other issues that may prevent the implementation of design thinking in scholastic settings may be a lack of awareness of the field, educators' uncertainty in implementing new approaches to teaching, and lack of institutional support. Even for institutions that see the value of design thinking, there is the issue of implementing these new approaches to education successfully. Admittedly creating an effective thinking and successful team learning experience is a sticky wicked problem. Design thinking in teaching and learning through ICT. The integration of ICT, information and communication technologies into teaching and learning presents many challenges that go beyond issues dealing with technical implementation. Some researchers have already claimed the limited effects of ICT adoption in learning, considering the emphasis and the investment that has been placed on the use of ICT in formal learning settings, schools and higher education institutions. It is important to identify where the problems are. In this regard, some voices of the educational community focus on the methods used for integrating ICT in teaching and learning. In this sense, the adoption of a design thinking mindset is regarded as a promising strategy to develop holistic solutions. Design thinking in teaching and learning through ICT can be considered as similar activities. First, it's important to acknowledge that the type of problems faced by the educational community when adopting learning technology are unique ill-defined and do not have clear solutions. This definition corresponds very well to the term wicked problems used by the design community. Secondly, similarly to what happens in design, the diversity of actors brings another layer of complexity that should be recognized. In this regard, collaboration between different stakeholders during the design process is another key issue that could contribute to develop more meaningful technologies for learning. Design thinking has been outlined as a meaningful approach for facing wicked problems. The adoption of a design mindset helps understand that there can be many solutions for a given situation and that any design requires testing.
From this perspective, bringing design thinking to learning design and design expertise to the development process of technological learning solutions can contribute to the creation of more holistic solutions in learning through ACT. Skill 11. Design thinking in business. Design thinking has two common interpretations in the business world. Designers bringing their methods into business by either taking part themselves in business process, or training business people to use design methods. Designers achieving innovative outputs or products, for example, the iPod. The first interpretation has been described by Tim Brown, CEO of IDEA, at a TED lecture, though his blog also considers the second interpretation. The limits of the first kind of design thinking in business are also being explored. Not all problems yield to design thinking alone, where it may be a temporary fix. Design thinking companies including Idea and Sense Worldwide are responding to this by building business thinking capabilities. Tim Brown has argued that design thinking is now widely, but sporadically, used in business. He argues that competitive advantage comes from sustained use of design thinking, from becoming masters of the art. In organization and management theory, design thinking forms part of the architecture design anthropology, ADA, paradigm, which characterizes innovative, human-centered enterprises. This paradigm also focuses on a collaborative and iterative style of work and an abductive mode of thinking, compared to practices associated with the more traditional mathematics economics psychology, MEP, management paradigm. A study by the London Business School found that for every percent of sales invested in product design, profits rose by an average of 3 to 4 percent. Design thinking applies to all organizational functions. For marketers, Enormous objectives with limited budgets are a common business challenge, and most businesses don't have massive advertising budgets to market their brand. And even if they do, it can be money wasted if teams don't strive to explore new ways to reach and speak to people continuously. For product development teams, design thinking can help them learn and test new ideas quickly, with real customers and repeat the process continuously. That improves the traditional new product development life cycle and saves product creators time, money and reduces the risk of failure. By adopting a greater design thinking level, business leaders can help accelerate innovation, find new ways to reach and speak to customers, lead research and development, grow market share, diversify products, solidify customer relationships, and much more. Skill 12. Business Frameworks, PDSA. Plan, do. Study, Act, PDSA, or Plan Do Study Act, is an iterative, four-stage problem-solving model used for improving our process or carrying out change. When using the PDSA cycle, it's important to include it internal and external customers, they can provide feedback about what works and what doesn't. The customer defines quality, so it would make sense to also involve them in the process when appropriate or feasible. To increase acceptance of the end result, if you're unsure about, who your customers are, you may want to create a customer chain to assist in identification. In applying PDSA, ask yourself three questions. What are we trying to accomplish? How will we know that a change is an improvement? What changes can we make that will result in an improvement? Stage 1, Plan. A. Recruit the team. Assemble a team that has knowledge of the problem or opportunity for improvement. Consider the strengths each team member brings. Look for engaged, forward-thinking staff. After recruiting team members, identify roles and responsibilities, set timelines, and establish a meeting schedule. Be draft an aim statement. Describe what you want to accomplish in an aim statement. Try to answer those three fundamental questions. What are we trying to accomplish? 
How will we know that a change is an improvement? What change can we make that will result in improvement? See describe current context and process. Brainstorm. Examine your current process. Start by asking the team these basic questions. What are we doing now? How do we do it? What are the major steps in the process? Who is involved? What do they do? What is done well? What could be done better? You might have already answered the last two questions if you have performed a SWOT analysis. Try a swim lane map. You may find it helpful to construct a swim lane map to visually describe your process. Creating a process flow or at least depicting the current process can be very useful. If your team runs into roadblocks, you might have found where the problem is occurring, or maybe the right person for identifying a missing step is not at the table. Gather more detail. Once the general structure is completed, these can be some more helpful questions to ask. How long does the process currently take? Each step. Is there variation in the way the process is currently completed? D. Describe the problem. Using the aim statement created in step B, state your desired accomplishments, and use data and information to measure how your organization meets does not meet those accomplishments. For example, if your objective is to maximize your staff's quality of work life, you might find evidence by surveying employees on workplace stressors. Write a problem statement. Write a problem statement to clearly summarize your team's consensus on the problem. You may find it helpful to prioritize problems, if your team has identified more than one, and or include a justification of why you chose your problem. S. E. Identify causes and alternatives. Analyze causes. For the problem in your problem statement, work to identify causes of the problem using tools such as control charts, fishbones, and workflow process maps, for example, flow charts, swim lane maps. The end of the cause analysis should summarize the cause analysis by describing and justifying the root causes. Examine your process, and ask, is this process efficient? What is the cost, including money, time, or other resources? Are we doing the right steps in the right way? Does someone else do this same process in a different way? Develop alternatives. Try to mitigate your root causes by completing the statement. If we do, then will happen. Choose an alternative or a few alternatives, that you believe will best help you reach your objective and maximize your resources. Develop an action plan, including necessary staff resources and a timeline. Try to account for risks you might face as you implement your action plan. Stage 2, do. Start to implement your action plan. Be sure to collect data as you go, to help you evaluate your plan in stage 3, study. Your team might find it helpful to use a check sheet, flow chart, swim lane map, or run chart to capture data occurrences as they happen or over time. Your team should also document problems, unexpected effects, and general observations. Stage 3, study. Using the aim statement drafted in stage 1, plan, and data gathered during stage 2, do, determine. Did your plan result in an improvement? By how much little? Was the action worth the investment? Do you see trends? Were there unintended side effects? You can use a number of different tools to visually review and evaluate an improvement, like a Pareto chart, control chart, or run chart. Stage 4, act, reflect on plan and outcomes. If your team determined the plan resulted in success, standardize the improvement and begin to use it regularly. After some time, Return to stage 1, plan and re-examine the process to learn where it can be further improved. If your team believes a different approach would be more successful, return to stage 1, plan, and develop a new and different plan that might result in success. The PDSA cycle is ongoing, 
and organizations become more efficient as they intuitively adopt PDSA into their planning, celebrate improvements and lessons learned, communicate accomplishments to internal and external customers, take steps to preserve your gains and sustain your accomplishments, make long-term plans for additional improvements, conduct iterative PDSA cycles when needed. Skill 13. Business Frameworks, Ideal, Initiate, Diagnose, Establish, Act, Learn, the Software Engineering Institute, say, at Carnegie Mellon University has published the ideal method as an organizational improvement model for the CMMI product suite and a like process improvement initiative for example ISO 15504. Ideal serves as a kind of roadmap for initiating, planning, and implementing process improvement actions in the context of the CMMI product suite. It is a process improvement and defect reduction methodology. The ideal model realizes a methodical infrastructure framework to guide organizations in planning and implementing effective process improvement programs for CMMI and alike initiatives. It is a process improvement and defect reduction methodology serving as the founding strategy employed by SAE in delivering many of their services. The ideal model is named for the five phases an organization runs through in performing a change initiative, initiating, diagnosing, establishing, acting, learning. Initiating, lay the groundwork for a successful improvement effort, typically the initiating phase is the direct response of some stimulus showing a need of urgency to change the current way of doing business. In return to this stimulus, the appropriate sponsorship is established, and the appropriate resources are allocated. Diagnosing, determine where you are relative to where you want to be. In the diagnosing phase, a kind of analysis is performed to baseline the current practices and to probe potential improvement opportunities. For the CMMI product suite this is a stamp appraisal, for ISO 15504 an assessment, establishing, plan the specifics of how you'll reach the objectives, in the establishing phase, the recommendations of the analysis are prioritized, change implementation teams are established, and plans are developed to conduct the activities, acting, do the work according to the plan, in the acting phase, the planned activities are implemented, learning, learn from the experience and improve the ability to adopt new improvements in the future, during the learning phase lessons learned are collected that can then be applied to subsequent rounds of the ideal change cycle, the ideal model, the ideal model structure is described best by the picture above, initiating phase, stimulus for change, blow by blow, the stimulus for change it's not part of any ideal activity, rather it is the trigger event or condition indicating that some kind of change is needed. This stimulus also could come from outside, driven by market and or business competition. To be ready to initiate a change initiative, the enterprise CEO or board of directors must perceive a need to improve within the company. This need initiates the ideal cycle, establish context. Establishing context ensures that the considered change initiative is aligned to business, that is it is tied to key business drivers or critical success factors, such as market drivers. This activity is part of the risk management process to determine what level of risk is acceptable to the organization, knowing who it affects and what mission is affected if the risk is realized. Build sponsorship. Building sponsorship is a process of convincing all groups related to the change initiative and obtaining their agreement to become active, visible sponsors of the change initiative. Charter infrastructure. This activity identifies exactly who will be taking action, including the coordinator for this effort. Diagnosing phase. Characterize current and desired state. Although the stimulus for change activity, listed above, 
may have identified one or more problems, the outcome from this activity is a more thorough assessment of the organization's process capability posture. In the context of CMMI product suite, scampi appraisals are used, in ISO 15504 context assessments, develop recommendations, based on links and resources provided by the assessment results for specific areas of improvement, the assessment team develops recommendations, that is, the ways and means employed to get from the current state to a desired state, establishing phase, set priorities, prioritization criteria developed based on business drivers, business area impact, and perhaps a recent risk assessment or audit. Each recommendation is evaluated against the criteria. Priorities could include funding, timely completion, and operational impact. Note that priorities are not always derived from recommendations, for example, employee safety may be a priority but not a recommendation. Develop approach. Up to this point, the recommendations are based only upon the results of the established context and characterize current and desired state activities. The ideal method accounts for recommendations but is as flexible enough to expand or alter them as necessary to meet the priorities that have been set for the effort. Expansion may include requirements, awareness training, for new skills and knowledge to adopt a particular improvement or aspects of the organization's culture such as sources of resistance and market forces. Plan actions. The plan for an improvement program might differ from both the recommendations and the approach both in degree and in substance. First, it takes the necessary level of detail to come to the point. Everyone is told what to do, when to do it, how to do it, and so on. Second, it translates an approach that exists outside of time and space into a scheduled event that is tied to specific days and hours. The execution of the plan is structured and managed like any project with schedules, tasks, assigned responsibilities, committed resources, milestones, decision points, reviews, measurement, status tracking, and risk management. Acting phase. Create solution. This is the procedure or act required to take action and execute the implementation project plan. Test pilot solution. This activity involves implementing and observing the candidate solution in one or more pilot situations in which the risk can be contained. Notice that this activity should be one of verification rather than of validation. The analyze and validate activity described below provides a formal opportunity for comparing the solution as implemented against the initial goals. Refine solution. Any problems found in the test pilot solution activity may or may not be corrected. This is a decision made by the project manager coordinator based on risk, resources, and other business and rollout considerations. Install solution. This activity can be repeated more than once. Multiple revisions of the solution can occur. But there is a difference between errors in the solution, which were identified and corrected in the past two activities, and errors in implementation. Learning phase. Analyze and validate. The purpose of this activity in any effort is to compare the results of the improvement effort with its goals and requirements, in other words, to determine whether the original objective of the exercise had been met. One purpose of this ideal process is to collect and analyze the lessons learned from an effort and apply these to subsequent interactions. Propose future actions. This activity identifies what additional actions need to be planned in the future. Skill 14. Business frameworks. Scrum. Here in this section, I am going to give you a brief summary about the Scrum framework, and yet request your free of charge Scrum training course book from International Scrum Institute's homepage. What is Scrum? First of all, 
I would like to emphasize that I didn't intend to write this section of this course as a go-to reference to answer all questions about the Scrum framework, nonetheless, the substance we're discussing here will give an in-depth head start for most of the beginner and intermediate level Scrum professionals, however, for the ones who are looking for a more advanced, but still practical guide to learn Scrum framework quickly, we have got something as well. I suggest you go and download our guide for the Scrum framework from this link here. What is Scrum? Well, without making things too complicated, the Scrum framework can be defined as the following. Scrum is an iterative software engineering process to develop and deliver software. Although the software is the main focus of the Scrum framework, iterative and agile Scrum process can be and is being applied outside the software industry too. Most people in the IT industry believe that the term Scrum was coined early in the 2000s as a parallel track of emerging agile software development and delivery trends. That's is a piece of incorrect information. The term Scrum was first used and officially published by Harvard Business Review in January 1986. Hirotaka Takeuchi and Ikujiro coined the term Scrum with their article, The New New Product Development Game, Yes, Two News. You should have a look at the new new product development game to see how everything all about Scrum got started. When the IT industry talks about the Scrum framework, it's also often we hear the term Agile Scrum along the same lines as Scrum. It led some of us in the industry to think and look for differences between the terms Agile Scrum and Scrum. Here is good news for you. Agile Scrum and Scrum terms do both refer to the same thing. They both refer to the Scrum software engineering process. Then why do we sometimes use the word Agile in front Scrum? It's because the Scrum framework fully embraced and embedded Agile Manifesto, Manifesto for Agile Software Development, to its core process, principles, and underlying philosophy. That brings us to understand the Agile Manifesto and the values of the Scrum process better before we deep dive the technicalities of the Scrum process. The Agile Manifesto, Manifesto for Agile Software Development. Agile manifesto values, individuals and interactions over processes and tools, working software over comprehensive documentation, customer collaboration over contract negotiation, responding to change over following a plan. While the factors on the right-hand side do still possess significant values, the Agile manifesto appreciates and prioritizes the factors on the left-hand side higher. The elements favored by the Agile manifesto have been carefully time-tested and chosen too serve clients and stakeholders better and create value for them with software, enhance the profession of software engineering regardless of your role, title, and career level. Scrum inspect and adapt. This is the core aspect of the Scrum framework where the real design thinking are happening. Scrum inspect and adapt is a straightforward concept to comprehend, but the hardest to properly implement and master. Companies have finally confirmed that none of their project managers can fully foresee the big picture of complex systems. They were unable to do reliable end-to-end -end planning. It was evident for them that they needed to try something different. Together with lean manufacturing, also known as lean movement, companies needed to develop a process to empower them strategically. They needed a standard operating procedure to help them learn and fix their courses of action while they're running their projects and even operations. That was the birth of Toyota Improvement Carter which we today call inspect and adapt while we talk about Scrum software development and delivery framework, according to Scrum inspect and adapt. Step 1. Inspect. We do our best to grasp the current status of the project with our current level of know-how and understanding about it. Step 2. Adapt. We define a direction and vision about the next steps of our project and then strategize and execute our vision. Step 3. Learn. 
we carefully observe, learn, and teach each other while we do so. We continuously log what works and what doesn't work while we do our work. Step 4. Restart. Start over from step 1 once again. Note that those four steps described above are analog, but not limited to the following scrum rituals, scrum events. Step 1. Inspect is analog to sprint review meetings and sprint retrospective meetings. Step 2. Adapt is analog to sprint planning meetings. Step 3. Learn is analog to daily scrum meetings. Step 4. Restart is analog to the closure of a sprint and the start of a new sprint. Sprints. In the Scrum framework, all activities including design thinking to implement the requirements happen during sprints. Sprints are cycles of work activities to develop shippable software product or service increments. Sprints are also sometimes called iterations. You think about sprints as if they're micro-projects. As the term sprint implies, a sprint doesn't take long, and it's maximum for four weeks. Different from a running race, at the end of a sprint, the scrum team shouldn't be out of breath and power. Instead, the scrum should be fresh, and they should energetically start the next sprint. The scrum software development and delivery framework has nothing to do to create pressure and stress for its team members. It's a well-known fact that people perform best when they can work focused, relieved, and undistracted. If it's applied correctly this what sprints help us accomplish. Every sprint starts with a sprint planning meeting. During the sprint planning meeting, the scrum team decides what and how many requirements they will implement in this given sprint. Subsequently, the scrum team starts the execution of activities to deliver requirements. Daily scrum, daily scrum meeting, happens every day at the same time in the same place. The goal of this meeting is to align all members of the scrum team regularly. Scrum team members can also ask help from the scrum master to remove any impediments which may potentially slow down or block the progress of a sprint. The scrum team finalizes a sprint with sprint review and sprint retrospective meetings. The sprint review meeting enables the scrum product owner to review and control the work results the scrum has created during the sprint. During the sprint retrospective meeting, the scrum team reflects the way they work together, how they use the scrum framework, and how they can improve. So the scrum team jointly takes these improvement potentials and feedback into account during the next sprint planning meeting. Sprints enable such feedback loops during short periods with small batch sizes of work. That's one of the significant reasons why and how the scrum framework helps teams and organizations to improve themselves continuously. Skill 15. Business Frameworks, DMAIC, Define, Measure, Analyze, Improve and Control. Here in this section, I am going to give you a brief summary about the Six Sigma's DMAIC framework, and yet request your free of charge Six Sigma DMAIC training course book from International Six Sigma Institute's homepage. DMAIC, an acronym for Define, Measure, Analyze, Improve and Control, pronounced DMIC, refers to a data-driven improvement cycle used for improving, optimizing and stabilizing business processes and designs. The DMAIC improvement cycle is the core tool used to drive Six Sigma projects. However, DMAIC is not exclusive to Six Sigma and can be used as the framework for other improvement applications. Introduction to DMAIC, Define Phase. Define phase of Six Sigma DMAIC process consists of following activities. Step 1, Validating Business Opportunity and Project CTQ, Critical to Quality, Identification, Capturing Voice of Customer. VOC, translating VOC into Ys, selecting key Y, S, for the project, initiate project charter for each Y. Step 2, 
project storyboarding and team charting, create a business case, problem and goal statement, scoping the project, project milestone, resource plan, roles and responsibility. Step 3, CIPRIC and AZIS process mapping, introduction to DMAIC, measure phase, measure phase of Six Sigma DMAIC process consists of following activities. Step 4, identify possible project-wise and data collection strategy, collect data on performance of Y collect data on Y for stability. Step 5, validate measurement system, study the measurement system of Y reviewer and a, repeatability and reproducibility, to validate the measurement system. Improve R and R if variation is high. Step 6. Determine process capability. Evaluate the capability of Y. Calculate present Z value for Y. Review baseline performance with set target and revise targets if required. Update project charter and obtain management approval. Introduction to DMAIC. Analyze phase. Analyze phase of Six Sigma DMAIC process consists of following activities. Step 7. Identify vital project X's and statistically validate them. Develop a detailed business process map. Analyze the process map to identify variation sources. Determine the X's, the potential causes. Prioritize and collect data on X's. Quantify the relationship Y equals F, X. Identify the vital X's from the potential X's. Validate the vital X's. Introduction to DMAIC. Improve phase. Improve phase of Six Sigma DMAIC process consists of following activities. Step 8. Generate potential solution and assess their failure mode. Develop feasible solutions to improve Y. Determine operating limits of exes. Analyze cost-benefits aspects of the feasible solutions. Step 9. Validate pilot solution. S. Develop a pilot plan to validate selected solution. Conduct pilot run to confirm the performance results of Y with set targets. News Ed Value, study the influence of solution on the other measures, Ys, and on overall measure, Y, evaluate financial gains, finalize the modified process flow, Step 10, Process Control and Risk Analysis, develop risk mitigation plan and process control systems, develop rollout plan and implement solution, introduction to DMAIC, control phase control phase of Six Sigma DMAIC process consists of following activities. Step 11, execute control plan and finalize documentation. Monitor post-implementation process performance to ensure expected improvement in project Y has occurred. Ensure ongoing process monitoring system is in place. Step 12, communicate to business results and sign off to close the Six Sigma project. Next steps for the pursuit of growth. The life you want, the marriage you want, the family that you want, is going to be fueled by the business you build. Russell Brunson author and CEO of ClickFunnels, how to guarantee your position as a successful entrepreneur. I feel that it's now my job to inspire you to actually implement and execute what you have learned from this program. Let's face it, the big, vast economy is not going to accommodate you with more opportunities and more business without you taking some serious initial steps. The economy most likely doesn't even know you exist. Up until now, you only operated as a small part of it, or you're just getting started. The government is not going to bail you out on your difficult days, and they certainly are not going to help you to advance and conquer on your entrepreneurship journey while you are setting yourself free. Something tells me that you didn't pick up this program because you are comfortable or satisfied with where you're in your career and business. Chances are you want to change or improve your career, build a side hustle, increase your level of flexibility and independence, 
or you want to simply have much security and more available options in life and business. Otherwise, you wouldn't have finished this program. Taking the time to pick up this program and study it suggests that you truly do want to do something different. For this, I acknowledge and congratulate you. Well done to you on getting this program. I applaud you for starting it and even more for finishing it. Now, if you want the world to give you a standing ovation, put lessons in it to work. Interestingly, one of the most effective ways of perfecting these disciplines is to help others attain success and implement these actions themselves. When people with common goals and motivations come together, they tend to learn faster and become a support system for one another. So gather a group of like-minded and highly driven people who refuse to live by the norms of the mediocre. Assemble a group to discuss this program and brainstorm it with you. Ask your family, friends, and other like-minded entrepreneurs to make this program as a team. Then help one another apply and commit to using the actions, hold one another accountable to these commitments. This is the game, and it's the most fun game that I've ever played. You now started getting the skills you need to start building your empire or make it bigger. During this journey that we've been on together through this program, we've covered a lot of things, but there are still a lot I am going to provide you. Everything you've learned in this program is literally the same thing we would discuss and do with you if one of my skill front advisors or I had a chance to fly to you and sit in your office. You now have access to the skills that will unlock the path of success in your business and ultimately in your life. You've just learned what took me a decade to discover and master. Tony Robbins often talks about how reading a book is like taking a decade of someone's life and compressing it down to a day. My entrepreneurial journey hasn't been all sunshine and roses. There have been many ups and downs, and I fought hard to learn all these skills in this program you have in your hands, and all other programs we have released, and we're going to release. It is my honor and privilege to be able to share them with you. I still remember the excitement as I learned each of these skills and use them for the business for the first time. Whenever I meet someone talking about our programs and skills they are learning from Skillfront, I get slightly jealous about how much fun it would be to rediscover all these skills. At this moment, you just officially became our latest Skillfront entrepreneur. I hope that you had as much fun learning as I did when I started my own journey. We will end this program now, and we will be happy to serve you again with another program. If you want to get up to the minute ideas, keep yourself informed about other Skillfront programs like this one. Follow our pages on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. P.S. Don't forget, you're just one skill away. Thanks for learning with the skill front. I want to thank you for taking the time with our program. We hope you enjoyed studying this lecture as much as we had enjoyed while we were creating it. It would be our greatest pleasure if we managed to help you to learn a thing or two, which will guide you on your own exciting entrepreneurship journey. This program is a playbook. Don't just study it once and go on with business as usual. Keep it handy and refer to it often. Having these tactics and using them hand in hand will give you strategies to grow your business and career geometrically. And with that, thank you so much once again. And I wish you all the success you can dream of. Yelizo Bugafell, Skillfront, what's coming next? If you want to get up to the minute ideas, keep yourself informed about Skillfront programs like this one. Follow our pages on LinkedIn. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Skillfront, our web address, www.skillfront.com.